house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Here are the films selected as Best Picture nominees. Performance by an actor in a leading Lucas role. Lucas Hedges, Boy Erased. Claire Foy, For achievement in film editing. For adapted screenplay. Roseman Pike. For achievement in cinematography. Role. For performance by an actor in a Timothy supporting Shaw. role. Here are the nominees Beautiful. for achievement in production design. For original score. John C. Riley. Performance by an actress Stan in a leading Ollie. role. Nicole Kidman. Destroyer. We want to talk to Marilyn Heck. Marilyn Heck and Trash. What a juxtaposition. We know that. And oh. what happened? What but the important that? thing is people, if you you get close to being nominated, that's no, what it's all it's about. All right. It's it's a big tease. Cause four out of five of those girls are gonna lose big time. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that woke up earlier than Kamel Nanjiani and Tracy Ellis Ross on nomination day. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Joe Reed, and I am here, as always, with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. How goes the kingdom? I mean, it's fine. Wait a second. King... I don't know what kind of kingdom I'm supposed to have. I would, I would be. You have much one. We are where we I are. Have the control of a kingdom where we are um, adversaries uh, to be the favorite of our oh. insane gouty listeners. <laughs> gouty is such. I mean a it word. with love. Like, our, obviously, like our listeners are wonderful people. But like, they might be go gouty. with me. Go with me. I'm going with our tied nomination leader. As even like, if they scenario. were gouty, we would love them. Thank you, obviously, for, for being so lovable and being so gouty. So we are not here to talk about one specific movie this week. We're here for a very special episode of This Had Oscar Buzz. Chris, are you dressed in your very special episode clothes? I am. I am dressed in uh, whatever Rachel Weisz's like, costume is, where they have the gun, and I also have the gun, and I have the hat. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I just have a, a spinning bow tie. That just every once in a while just whimsically <laughs> spins. No, we're not going to be talking about just one movie. We are going to, this is our Class of 2018 episode, which we've been sort of eagerly anticipating all throughout the year, where the Oscar nominations were announced on Tuesday. And so now we know for for good and all, for the rest of history, which movies were and were not Academy Award nominated. And now, the ones that fell short, now for... <laughs> For all time, are now cast in the bucket that we call this had Oscar buzz. This the you know that's why we're here. So the now, first like our first graduating class of I this know, podcast I'm being of, in existence. It's exciting. I'm kind of proud of all of them, all of our little graduates. Um. So yeah. So we're gonna uh, sort of go through some of our thoughts about the most interesting ones, the most prominent ones, the ones where happiest didn't make it the ones were saddest that didn't make it sort of the ins and outs of what went wrong for a lot of the movies that a year ago this time we were looking at with you know an air of possibility or even six months ago 
Yeah, well, that's true. Some of them even different for some a week ago. <laughs> for Stan and Ollie, it might have been a month and a half ago. Oh, poor Stan and Ollie. We'll get into it. We will definitely get into it. Um, before we got we get right on uh, on track, though, I wanted to I wanted to sidetrack us. I wanted to make sure that we were not in any way uh, on target for getting out of here in a reasonable time. Um, but I wanted to talk about some of the movies that we won't be talking about because just from the the tone and tenor of a lot of the at replies we were getting on Twitter, which by the way, we love and adore everybody who interacts with us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Um, it's Thank I don't know I feedback. I feel like we have yeah we have fun talking to you guys and we love hearing your suggestions and all that kind of stuff. But I love one taunting of the things, you all with polls. Yes, if you are ever wondering who is the maniac who comes up with the polls that mislead you guys into thinking that we're going to be talking about one movie and we're talking about another, that is the that is the providence of Chris File right there. He is the one playing with your emotions, doing it quite successfully, if I may add. I tip my hat to you all. But one of the movies that I know everybody was really clamoring for was now that, you know, Widows was indeed shut out by the Oscars, which is... I can't even get into it. We've talked about it so yes. much already. It's okay. So one um, of the reasons I do, I I do think, and I really appreciate this about our listeners is I think our listeners definitely pay enough attention to know that we are both huge fans of Widows. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why we got so much of that response. Which clearly, thank you. Um, yeah. If that's you know one of the things I'm going to be known for, if that's one of my known fors, is standing for widows 2018 yes then yes absolutely both of us um agreed um however that is not the type of thing that we would necessarily consider in the class of this had oscar buzz and joe i think you have a good thread on why yeah i always tend to talk about sort of there's you know it's a very fine needle of thread and sometimes it's just sort of like you know because i say so but sometimes it's just like the idea of this had Oscar buzz is the kind of the Oscar bait that didn't quite make it. And that I guess in many ways does apply to a movie like widows or like wildlife or something like crazy rich Asians, eighth grade, right? These things that at one point or another, people were like, Oh yeah, that could maybe that could happen. They, you know, ended up on some people's predictions. I think some of these movies though, if we ended up talking about Widows, it would just end up just being us sort of like railing around about why Widows was too good to get recognized for Oscars. And I don't quite think that this, that this had Oscar buzz is about the movies that are too good for Oscar. There's always been a slight air of schadenfreude in what we're doing here. And not, not that we, you know, only talk about movies we don't like, because that's not true. But there is a little bit of sort of a, you know, whimsical you know, sticking your elbow on the ribs of these movies. and with Or in like the snobbiness Widows, of Oscar with, like, I would say what our next movie will be for listeners and, like, something like The Family Stone as sure. well, where it's like, we don't feel the schadenfreude towards that movie, but we do, like, maybe just look at it within a very different context. I always think about a movie like under the Skin. Under the Skin was the title of that. What? The mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson yes. movie? Yes. Yes. So that was a movie where, like, every once in a while, people were like, oh, maybe Scarlett Johansson could get an Oscar nomination from this. And it was sort of in conversation for, you know, best original score, perhaps. And 
you know, definitely at one point or another had Oscar buzz. But I think by the end of that season, you're not looking at Under the Skin and being like, aha, you know, that movie really fucked it up in the awards game. And and that I even think is a different conversation from something you're talking about, like with Widows, because like Widows, it's like you're talking about something that is like, it's a bummer that it wasn't nominated, not like, isn't it a little funny that this was ever in the breath of Oscar? I feel yeah. like that's more of like a thing that's led by like critics that maybe was never, ever going to be within the wheelhouse of the Academy. And I think which there's is what, some... how I feel about a movie like Hereditary, which or we you were never really here, um, right? And you were never really here. I would love to be have to have a little bit of Schadenfreude about because I did not like that movie. You guys, let me just throw that out there. But yeah, I think those are those movies. You were never really here. Hereditary, um, even something like Support the Girls or Leave No Trace, or even like Eighth Grade, where it's just like. It's tough to be like, way to miss out on that Oscar, when the whole idea was like, these movies were so small and they were being supported on the idea that like, don't forget about these movies because, you know, while you're so busy paying attention to the Oscar bait movies. Well, and I I also think that like, while we are a podcast that tries to champion whatever we can in whatever movies we're talking about, and like, we may have some that we genuinely like or performances that we think should genuinely have been like nominated or other like creative aspects that get nominated. We're not a, it sucks. This movie wasn't nominated podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's true. And I think with, you know, with some, exceptions i think there's always gonna be exceptions and hey if in a year or two i you know we get the itch to really talk about widows and why it never really latched on with the oscars we might do an episode about widows maybe it's or if it had interesting ramifications in a few years from now sure because like there there's some things that it's like even the conversation around it like kind of gives us more to go with than you know yeah maybe it's just that i'm too i'm too wounded by it right now i'm just too flabbergasted but anyway so if you're wondering why we're not talking about a certain sort of subset of movies that had been on some prediction charts and whatever from various times or had gotten precursor awards or whatever you know not every not every oscar miss is created equal and i feel like the ones we're going to talk about today have that little bit more of a you know there's a little bit more intention with them towards why they missed and yeah. why it's a little bit it's a little bit funny it's a little bit sort of why picking fun at we oscar watchers for including certain things in conversations at various different points in the oscar year um ultimately also we are you know human and capricious and fickle and we make our choices. So we should probably also use, if there is a tool for what we uh, what is closer to the type of movies we're thinking about, we could also plug, we have made an in memoriam reel that welcomes the class of yes. 2018. In case you haven't watched that before listening to the episode, please go and do that. You can find it on our Twitter page. You should do that. But when Chris says we, he means... It is both of our creative forces behind it. It's both yeah, of our creative well, forces. Chris did the work, so when you throw praise out, throw it his way. I will take it's all praise, time. but um, and you will deflect all criticism. Yes, as you should. Yes. All right. So should we get started? Yes, absolutely. Joseph, tell us what our first category is. So we broke this down into several sort of tiers of movies we're going to talk about. The first one is the Cake Memorial Award for 
the happiest miss, which is to say the movie that did not get any Oscar nominations that we are the happiest about. Sorry, cake, but it's true. It is the cake prize. It is the cake prize. It's the cake plate. You get a cake plate. So, okay. One thing that I will say, because like the other thing about cake is that Jennifer Aniston was like in all of the major um, awards precursors before cake. Joseph. Yes. Is your answer going to fall under that descriptor as well? Because mine is definitely not. Uh, I have one that could fall partially under that descriptor. Okay. Well, I'll I'll just get into it since I kind of preambled it a little bit. Okay. So, listen. This one, I was so angry when when this trailer dropped and people were actually, like, thinking about this or even mentioning Oscar. I was like, you are absolutely insane. I am mad at all of you. How dare you? You know exactly the trash for piece this is going to be. I am talking about... Life itself. Oh, I thought you were talking about something else. Oh, no. That I'm... was my runner-up. Okay, but... Okay, we'll, no. We'll I'm talking yeah. about life itself. This is... Listeners will remember from our Crazy Stupid Love episode, we talked a little bit about This Is Us, which is a TV show that I... I'll confess I do not watch this show, but everything that I hear, read, or am like recommended to this show is just like fully absolutely not... This movie by the same creator of the show, Dan Fogelman, was like, sounds like this is us on steroids, kind of. And Joseph, I remember your review of this movie and how like you were a little more tempered on the insanity of this movie. But everybody kind of lost their minds when they saw it and realized how like crazy and bad and like everybody was comparing it to Collateral Beauty, my like favorite trash piece in the world. But... Like, there was this air of people being surprised by this movie being such a nightmare that I fully was not on board with. That I was like, you cannot tell me that you didn't watch that trailer and know that this movie would be bad. I feel that is true. But there's also this sense of, well, This Is Us has so many people on its side and and got Emmy consideration and one you know has won emmy awards and things like that and you're like oh okay maybe this is just for a lot of other people and it's not for me and it's really gonna land with them and this you know whole big emotion you know uh generation spanning big moment big tears a lot of characters that people love a lot of actors that you know people love from antonio banderas to mandy patinkin oscar isaac olivia wilde annette benning but like and then you go into the movie and you see it and you're just like, oh, yeah. This is yeah. a movie that dares to have Annette Benning be hit by a bus. Oh, boy, does it. And, like, the first half hour to 45 minutes of this movie is irredeemably obnoxious and frustrating and angry-making. And it just makes everybody seem so awful. And it makes you hate Oscar Isaac in a way I did not think was possible, first of all. But that's all in the trailer. Like, he does that, like, monologue that he's like, I can't ask you out because blah, blah, blah. It's going to be the start of the rest of my life, and I'm going to want to spend, like, that's a serial killer. Um, That is not a romantic person you should have in your life. movies where, like, the fleshing out of that makes a moment like that a little bit more palatable. And this movie just doesn't Uh... do that. The second half of this movie... I know you're you're being flippant, but I I honestly like there are 
there are movies in the past that have done well with awards that feel as sappy as that. Fine, but in if the question is what have I been what made me happiest that it didn't play or like never played all along that because I thought people were crazy when they first were saying that it could be an Oscar player. I mean, it was doing all the things. It was certainly gunning for that, let's say. Right. And we have to take all threats seriously, Chris. We have to, we cannot <laughs> just brush off these threat levels. The threat matrix on that one was there. And I'm glad we all did our due diligence, or some of us did, and saw it in Toronto and warned the people about everything that was going to happen in Didn't that movie. Didn't it scream for press at in like the IMAX? Like, I feel like missing that Ooh. movie in IMAX was a thing um anyway so speaking anyway. of the threat of life itself do you have a threat to take your cake award yeah so initially uh the movie that i thought you were building up to was i thought you were going to say the mule which really no. applied to everything you were saying about this trailer drops and it looks awful, and yet a whole lot of people are like, maybe Clint's back on his, you know, back on track. Or yeah, I was fully never on board for Clint Eastwood Mexican drug cartel movie. Absolutely not. Yeah, and some people were, and some people even championed it after it came out. I am glad we did not have to ride that roller coaster. I feel like we've been on that coaster so many times in the past, and I don't have it in me in. The year of our Lord, 2018 going into 2019, after everything we've experienced over the last few years, I don't have it in me to go through the Clint Eastwood Oscar roller coaster where too many people start making fun of him. And then the people who like who like defend the old guard start being, you know, getting defensive and and mentioning, you know, things like craft and, and whatnot and why you know, we don't respect our elders anymore or something like that. I'm just glad we don't have to go through any of that. But that We don't need a Grand Torino sequel. No. We do we not. Should, we didn't need a Grand Torino. We didn't need Grand Torino. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, I will say that I was going to bring it up in a later category, but, like, here's what I will at least say, to not spoil the category. Did you... Okay, I'll just say it. The mule has like just out of nowhere quietly made a hundred million dollars. His movies. The movie that. is huge. Well, not in a long time. Some like, of his movies. Sully do that. did well. Sully did that well, I think. Uh, yeah, it's a hundred million dollar movie. But like, well, you would imagine Sully would do well. Because like it's the a mule story fully, and it's got a plane crash in it. like culturally speaking, died three days after it opened. Right? Like people stopped talking about it. Probably Until because this there past was like weekend a when John Mulaney resurrected it on Saturday Night Live, but yeah, uh, fine. Um, but yeah, that's a hundred million dollar movie. Wild. Yeah, I mean, America's fucked up. We can all we can all agree with that. I think. But the can. movie that I actually went with, the one that it, I feel like is a more strategic choice for me, I'm really really happy that Destroyer got shut out. Which is to say that I'm Ugh. really happy. Nicole Kidman did not nab that fifth best actress uh, nomination, which is a weird thing for me to feel because you know I love Nicole Kidman. Yes. And I don't even hate that performance, but given everything else that was being, you know, thrown around as a possibility, including, you know, that BAFTA nomination really got us to hold out hope for Viola Davis. 
but ultimately it's um it's not the kind of movie that I feel like should be enshrined in the Oscar conversation. I'm glad we don't have to talk about it anymore. I love Nicole Kidman. I love Karen Kusama. It hurts me to think of how much I did not like Destroyer. I know. And like, I think too, what you're saying about like, you're uh, in the context of everything else in the best actress race, like this feels like a failed experiment and like it's, admirable only for that but like the performance is not doesn't hold up to like what a nomination would do and particularly in this year and i think this is one of the reasons why i get so incensed about glenn close and the wife is that like i don't think that it's a performance that measures up and i think people are going for like a career prize when they're excited for it and it's like but not this year there's so much that was going on in best actress and like stuff that probably would have had a really hard shot like um charlie's theron and tully because like they put no effort into that movie um the studio i mean as far as an awards campaign is concerned but like there's also all stuff like viola davis on the fringes that it's like you know it's some career best work from a lot of people that deserve that slot if i had any kind of thought in me that there was a bubbling under surge for Melissa McCarthy out there for Can You Ever Forgive Me, I would be a lot less sanguine about Glenn Close winning a career Oscar for The Wife. As it is, I'm fine with the occasional career Oscar. Sometimes it needs to happen. I don't need... Kind of against them. I was against that. I was like one of the major proponents for Roger Deakins finally getting his Oscar, and I was like one of the few people that I was like, guys, Blade... Blade Runner 2049 is not it. Like, eh, I, I just don't jive with career Oscars. I don't. I feel like that kind of absolutism ends up toppling the whole thing, for me at least, where it's yeah. like, it's so rare that my very favorite of the year is going to win. It's so rare that somebody's yeah. best ever performance is going to win. This was my thing with Kate Winslet in The Reader. And like, is The Reader her best performance? No. Is The Reader a movie that everybody liked? No. But... She's not doing bad work in it. And ultimately, would we rather... Like, she's never going to get that award for Eternal Sunshine. It's never coming around again. So either we wait and wait and wait and hope that, you know, the stars align and she ends up giving her career best performance in the kind of movie that the Oscars are into in a year where nobody else is giving a more buzzy performance. Like... You're really taking your chances. And with Glenn Close, I don't need to go another 15 years with, you know, Albert Nobbs on the on the horizon again. You know what I mean? I don't but need But I think that this is worse than Albert Nobbs. Oh, I don't know if I would agree with that at all. I think maybe the movie, I don't know, Albert Nobbs is a bad movie. I think this is a better performance than the one she gives in Albert Nobbs. The other thing, like, I don't know if that's always true for everybody, though, that, like, the performance that we really want them to win for is going to come around, like... Amy Adams you have in this race this year and it's like they don't need to give it for Vice because she is going to give us another arrival she's going to give us another June bug but also Amy Adams works so much more frequently than Glenn Close on the level of movies that Oscar is going to pay attention to I have no doubt that Amy Adams is going to get another six or seven cracks at this at the very least Whereas I don't have that kind of confidence with Glenn Close. And I like Glenn Close. And I think Glenn Close should have an Oscar in the grand cosmic scheme of things. So 
again, as I said, if I felt that Melissa McCarthy was bubbling under the surface and if we didn't have Glenn Close here that she would be winning, I'd be all for it. I think Olivia Colman is great in The Favorite. I maybe think that she's a supporting actress, but you know what? I'm not... I've thrown that out there too i am no longer i no longer have a whole lot of concern for category fraud anymore i am fine with it i think when it's like flat egregious like maybe emma stone is this year it's frustrating but i think there's way more gray than i just don't care i just can't I (laughs) i really don't i truly don't whatever do whatever you want to do um, but I think Olivia Coleman. I think this is one of those where, you know, same with Lady Gaga. The nomination is the award, and it'll open doors that haven't been opened and all of that good stuff. And See, Olivia Coleman's one that I wonder if we'll have the opportunity to come back. But I also think Olivia Coleman is giving, like, an all-timer performance and is, I mean, I love Melissa McCarthy, too, but, like, I would have, I think there's zero doubt that she, that Olivia Coleman's the best in the category. Yeah, I'm not quite with you there. But... Imagine two gay men having two different opinions on the right. best two actress category. Gay white guys Oscars. having different opinions. Our second round, if we feel like we have fully exasperated the the possibilities for the Cake Award for Happiest Miss, let's move to round two. What I am calling the Justice for Slaughter Race category, which is the snub that made us the saddest on Tuesday morning, because I. Still pouring it out for a place called Slaughter Race in the best original song category. I love it. Oh, I love that movie. I know, me too. Okay, so Chris, what? Wait, did you go first last time? I went first first last time. time? Okay, I'm going to go first this time. The snub that made me the saddest is not the movie that I'm saddest ended up getting shut out, but I'm genuinely crestfallen and bummed that Timothy Chalamet did not end up getting a Best Supporting Actor nomination, especially because the person who ended up getting that slot was Sam Rockwell and Vice, who not only... I mean, this. I think we're maybe all a little bit collectively too down on Sam Rockwell because of the associated bad vibes from the three Billboards Awards of just last year. And then playing right. George Bush, and then the Best of Enemies movie with Taraji P. Henson, right. where he's playing a right. literal Klansman. Coming soon. He's, li- he's really, really, really tempting this unfortunate trend these days that we have a harder time separating the actor from the, the, from the role than we ever have before. And it's really not a good thing for all of us. But here we are. Mostly, I'm just upset because... Vice is a terrible movie, and Sam Rockwell doesn't do anything in it. And he's in it for like two minutes. He's got two scenes in the movie. He gives a decently passable George W. Bush impersonation, but not even a good one. And it doesn't do anything. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. It's a bad nomination all around. It's really, really, truly bad. And I honestly think I know the opinions on Beautiful Boy ran the gamut. It's not my favorite movie either. I did not hate it as much as some people did. And I know some people think that Chalamet is not his best in that movie. I vehemently disagree. I think he's the best thing in the movie by a mile. I think he's doing really, really good work. I don't mind that he's nominated and supporting. And ultimately, mostly, I was excited for the idea that this exciting new young actor was going to get two Oscar nominations in two years and really get that like huge jumpstart going into Dune and... His career is just really exciting to me, both as a actor and as a celebrity. And I know sometimes it sounds obnoxious to sort of be like, you know, tracking somebody's career as a celebrity. But, like, he's doing such a good job with it. It's so much fun to watch him 
on the campaign trail, whether it's in interviews, whether it's in roundtables, whether it's in whatever they have people on the Vanity Fair Hollywood cover today. He looks phenomenal. I mean, it's he's an, he is not somebody. I think he's defying the odds of what I thought the pitfalls of a younger celebrity was going to be. And maybe taking this kind of setback and stride is all going to be good for him too. And it probably is, but I don't know. I was, he probably lost no sweat about it. He seems to be very like simultaneously laid back and anxious of a person, but like this type of thing probably did not face him. I don't think I'm coming at this from an angle of like poor Timothy. I'm just saying it would have been a more fun Oscar campaign. If the five supporting actors were, Mahershala, Adam Driver, Sam Elliott, Richard E. Grant, and Timothy Chalamet. Like, that is a... How do you... Like, try to find someone to dislike in that five. It's it's amazing. Well, I mean, while I am one of those people that doesn't like the movie or his performance, I do think where I side with you is that Oscar has this weird... You mentioned him being a young actor in his current career trajectory, and Oscar has this weird bias towards younger male actors that, like, I really bristle towards because it's like they treat young male actors, or at least the what the data supposes is that it's like you have to earn, like, your you have to pay maleness your by yeah. paying dues, and it's like you don't really get respect and, you know, honor for your craft until you're 40 years old. And I think it's ridiculous. And They're getting better about that these days, though. Yes. As you think. Because we have Lucas Hedges was nominated a few years ago. Timothy was obviously nominated the previous year. Nobody wants to talk about it, but Rami Malek also and Adam Driver. Like, they're younger guys. Adam Driver, I'm pretty sure, is in his 30s. Yeah, but like younger 30s. Sure. Listen, 30s isn't old. <laughs> the impression of like 30s what... 30s isn't it, yeah. old. It's not Chris. a bunch of like 40s and 50s year old white guys. He's 35 and he looks like a stallion, okay? Oh, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> can I say what made me the saddest? And it's kind of... Yeah. This is more of... A conversation about the trajectory of like the year and how this movie just I don't think this movie was handled very well and it never really got into the conversation in a way that I would have really liked it liked it to have and it was a movie that grew on me and I maybe wasn't fully impressed because I was tired when I first saw it but that is Ben is back yeah speaking of younger actors Lucas Hedges with Julia Roberts I think Julia Roberts even though again she wasn't on my ballot um but I think she's doing incredible work. She got no recognition for it all season and really deserved it. Um, yeah. And it was, this was an interesting movie that for performance was made to be golden globe nominated. It, it infuriated me that both Kidman and Rosamund Pike got in over her at the Globes. And I think the movie like barely made $2 million. Yeah. Um, I might be wrong, wrong on the number, but it's low. Um, and it doesn't really have any business being that low. Um, though maybe it's like, people were staying away from the subject matter i don't know um but this movie really deserved a lot better than it got and i mean maybe i couldn't even pinpoint other than julia roberts like a nomination i would give the movie but it definitely should have been seen and considered by more people it's like as the weeks have gone on i've seen more and more people like discover it last minute like as it's getting ready to leave their theater um and talking on twitter that is like why did nobody see this movie and it's like blame the studio i guess i don't know it is also just by virtue of its title 
one of the best movies for use as a joke premise. Yeah. I've seen in a while. I've had so much fun with Ben is back wordplay. In this economy? I still, my favorite thing that I did in Toronto was making you get so mad at the screening of Ben is back when I leaned over and I just said, that's Ben. Podcast is over. Thanks for listening, (laughs) listeners. I'm leaving. I was so like, sometimes Joe and I as friends, listeners do this thing where like we tell each other a joke that's so stupid, but so perfect that it's like, we're just furious at each other. I don't know what you mean, Agnes Varda. I don't yeah, I, quite I send know. Joe Agnes Varda jokes. Um, but yes, Joe literally looked at me the second Lucas Hedges appears. So you know that he was preparing this at least for a full day. And he whispered, that's Ben. And I about left the theater. Um, yeah, this was like a very memeable title. And it's like, that. it feels like that was the movie's largest footprint ever left yeah it does some but you know what some movies don't even get that so you know it's true fine we talk about those movies on this podcast Mm -hmm. one movie i also without even getting into it too deeply but i was kind of also bummed that colette didn't get a costumes nomination i really kind of thought it was going to happen there's some really great costumes in that movie and the academy traditionally Loves to give nominations to people who put costumes on Kira Knightley. That's true. That's true. And I thought I was going to be very clever in making that prediction, and it was not true. And the conversation for that movie died like fully at a certain point, and that's it what was I one think. Of those kept... Don't open your movie in September, kind of right, especially if Just it's a little it. flat. Um, but like that's why I think even back to your option of timothy chalamet is like why i think that didn't happen is because the conversation died at a certain point even though he had like all of the big precursors in his pocket it was like by the time oscar voters were voting like nobody was talking about that movie yeah it was gone okay so why don't you introduce our third category okay so our third category we are calling this the dr louise banks award for most surprising shutout so we the all movie know who that played we played Dr. Louise Banks. Yes. We're all still not over it. We are this is the one that we are surprised was shut out and I originally was going to say the mule for this strictly on the fact that it's like clearly a ton of people saw this and like yeah. there was room to move especially in best actor but like when the studio was like there was the whole thing of like there's going to be a surprise Clint Eastwood movie this year. It was more us making it into a million dollar baby thing and the studio was fully like no we are not doing that and clearly it was just to make money at a certain time of year and success they did it um the one that i will say is the most surprising shout out for me and this one like took a little bit of convincing but like on the outside and maybe the reason for this is that it wasn't handled well by its studio either i am surprised that the sisters brothers is nowhere like this would have been the perfect movie like i think you and i were even talking about this when we were talking about predictions you were thinking about it somewhere and you were right in that costumes i thought maybe cinematography um, sound sound editing Mm because all the gun shooting and whatnot it's totally one of those movies that would just like show up with a single nomination on oscar morning and like yes i think it took some warming up to this movie for me personally but I do think that there's worthy work in it. And I think if it had been handled even a little bit better by the studio, it totally would have something. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, Annapurna seemed to put all of their chips in vice. I mean, they the, I mean it sure worked out for them actually. So yeah. for as much as I hate Vice, like you can't exactly. And how much well. if Beale Street could talk is the one that deserves it. Yeah, but they well, didn't give it that true. either. But yeah, I feel like westerns are not my thing. I sort of I stayed away from the Sisters Brothers for that reason. Even though all through Toronto, people were talking about how it was so much better than they thought it was going to be. Blah blah blah. I saw it. It's much more interesting and memorable than I thought it was going to be. To say that I liked it is probably a stretch. I still mostly, I I don't know. I wanted, I wanted more of the Gyllenhaal Riz Ahmed relationship that is sort of picked up and then put away just as quickly as it was. And I think John C. Riley's really good in this movie. I am well. I think past he could have point. been a Best Actor contender this year to be nominated at least if they'd really done right by this movie. He's really, really good in it. There's this, the whole scene with the the chemical in the lake when they're digging for gold and when things. Ooh, all go it's wrong. a lot. It's a lot, but and I'll remember it for a while. But ultimately, and Carol Kane shows up at the end, and that's really fun and amazing. Yeah. But I'm, I don't know what it's going to take for me to get on board with a Joaquin Phoenix movie again. Honestly, like I don't know. It's maybe that's just a fully a my problem, and I'm wrong to have it, but. I can't get invested in a movie with him. I just You're I, done. I I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I'm you're done. Just done. I um, but, I would not have said that I liked the movie when I first saw it, but like I will fully fess up to this being the movie this year I should have given more of a fair shake because it's it's war- I've warmed up to it quite a bit. All right. Well, maybe that'll happen for me too. I did only see it very recently. My movie for this category is also a John C. Riley movie. I was really expecting Stan and Ollie to show up in the best makeup category to the point where I went and saw it two weeks ago or a week and a half ago Mm -hmm. because I was so sure and I wanted to knock it out before the Oscars happened. And so now what I've done is I've gone and seen a movie called Stan and Ollie about Laurel and Hardy played by John C. Riley in fat makeup. And I don't like fat makeup and Steve Coogan, who I like, Ultimately, I'm allergic it's to not Steve a bad Coogan. Movie. What's that? I'm allergic to Steve Coogan. I I do like him. I think he has to be in the right circumstances for him to not be super irritating, but I think he is often in the right circumstances. Um he's very low key in this movie actually. So if you're That's if good. your problem with him is the anticness, he's very low key. Um also great performances by both of the women who play their wives nina arianda and shirley Shirley henderson Henderson, right yes shirley henderson who fully in this movie i'm like oh my god she is giving a coen brothers performance in this movie that is not a coen brothers movie but like get her into a fucking coen brothers movie because like she's got that kind of clipped um sort of like assuredness to her there's a little bit of like Jennifer Jason Lee in a Coen Brothers movie to Shirley Henderson in this. And she's just like a little old freight train, and I love her. Um, and Nina Arianda is one of the most sparkling and delightful screen presences you're ever going to see. She's so, so, so good. So I'm not mad that I saw Stan and Ollie, but like in the makeup category, I think ultimately there were too many. Normally in the makeup category, there's like one ringer and then a couple other movies that get in on like volume or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a full body year, defect. 
Right. Whereas, like, normally your ringer is going to be, like, this hundred-year-old man who climbed out a window, or um, what's the other old man Scandinavia movie that came along? Um, it wasn't Scandinavian, but there was Il Devo. Il Devo, but what's the, um, the a man called... Uh, Uva? Uva. Wasn't that also makeup? Uh, it was definitely Bake Off. I remember that. I hated that movie. Um, I had to see it, and I wouldn't have seen it if it wasn't a nominee. So, hold on. Let me bring up the Yeah, makeup. I think it means it was nominated then. Yeah. So, anyway, this year you had Border, which I love. Which, love like, Border, Border is the, like, full transformation makeup nominee. So glad that that actually did get nominated. If I had one pick in that entire category, it would have been Border. People should see it. I really hope this this nomination gets people to see it. It is a... Where is that one from? Sweden? Yes. I punked out on predicting it. and I did you? I did. I did not predict it, and I really wanted it to happen. It was like the one that... It was like all the memes that are like, what are your biggest wishes? And Border for Makeup was one of them. If you look up... like I don't think that listeners should do this until I see the movie. So listeners, listen to Joe. Listen to me. See Border. Know nothing about it. And then... See Border. It won the Uncertain Regard uh, Award at Cannes this year. It is about... I'm just going to say without getting into it, because it's better that you know not a ton. It is about a woman who works in the uh, customs security line in, in this one city in Sweden, this one port in Sweden. And she looks like a scary monster. And she's not a scary monster. She's just a person. But she looks like a scary monster. And she can sense when people have contraband on them as they're going through the line. And that's sort of why she's employed there. And just like, just go see the movie from there. It is yep. worth go- going to see. So anyway, that one felt like a ringer. That's one of those. If it made the shortlist for a reason, it's going to stick around. I thought Stan and Ollie was another one of those. that made the shortlist for a reason because there's this huge elaborate, like makeup fat suit job on John C. Riley to make him look like Oliver Hardy and it is very elaborate and it's very much a lot. And if you like fat suit makeup jobs, which historically this category has appreciated in the past, then you're going to really like it. They also, that is also why Vice was nominated. And this is what annoys me about it. So Vice gets nominated on the fact that it used prosthetics to help. Christian Bale look like Cheney, right? Mm-hmm. But a also, lot of hair Christian... pieces too. They aged Amy Adams. Yes, but also Christian Bale is getting nominated in part, if not entirely, because of the physical transformation that he went into to look like Dick Cheney. Nominated once. That's including gluing half of his mouth shut so he can talk out of the other side Jesus exclusively. Fucking Christ! Give, deliver me. From another Christian Bale prestige performance. Honest to Christ. That's such a bad movie. Anyway. I'll say it now. I'd prefer Christian Bale to win over Rami Malek. Uh, well, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole Bohemian Rhapsody of it all. but Well, like... just for the simple fact that it is an SNL bit performance stretched out for two hours and played as a drama. Like, not for laughs. Um, 
yeah. Stan and Ollie, I fully predicted, though. So, like, I, I'm kind of with you there that it was surprising. Though, I guess to my earlier point, maybe if you want to get an Oscar nomination, don't just suddenly announce that you're going to release your movie a month and a half before the year ends. Yeah, well, fair. Like, fully people don't even know this movie exists. But I will also say, for Borders makeup, part of the reason why it deserves to win is if you look up those actors, after you watch the movie, you will be gobsmacked at what those makeup artists were able to do, and especially able to do and not inhibit the actors' performances. See Border. All right. So, next category, as we're going to sort of maybe push things along, because we are going, what is it? Overtime. The most forgettable film from the class of 2018. So this is the movie that a year from now, someone's going to mention this movie and you're going to be like, that was last year and not never. Mine, I sort of cheated and went with two for one. But if one of these is yours, I'll let you talk more at length about it. But for as much as Sir Ronan captured our hearts last year in Lady Bird and that movie is unassailable and she's wonderful and she still managed to come out at the end of the year. With a couple nominations for Mary Queen of Scots, uh, you know, pulling that those feet out of the fire, but the double bill early season releases of On Chesil Beach and The Seagull, which both of them were on long lists. I know they were both in like year ahead predictions. I think kind of since they were in production. I was gonna say The Seagull had been waiting for a while. Chesil Beach too. They both had been spanned at least a couple years in terms of like anticipation. I saw Chesil two years ago at Toronto. I saw The Seagull at the Paris Theater here in New York over the summer. I found things to like in The Seagull mostly, if not exclusively, Elizabeth Moss. I thought Chesil Beach was weird in a way that was a little bit fascinating, but ultimately a failure. Both of those movies, though, end up being pretty bad and were swiftly sort of brushed aside and brushed away from Oscar season, never to be talked about again. And the only reason anybody's going to talk about them is for purposes such as ours, I feel. Yes, absolutely. Though... I will say, and this is obviously, like, this speaks to what we do here and why we do it, but, like, I will never forget The Seagull, specifically because when 20th Century Women didn't happen for Annette Benning, I remember explicitly being like, but guys, The Seagull is coming. It's going to be The Seagull. <laughs> it's going to be fine. She's got The Seagull coming. It's The Seagull. Um, Oh, boy. This is why I don't do predictions. That um, talent, the talent for that movie is significant. Annette Bening, Saoirse Ronan, uh, Elizabeth Moss. Who else is popping around that movie? Who's the guy? Um, um, Brian uh, Dennehy is in it. Sure, um, but the, it's also the same guy. It's the Corey same love Stoll. interest in both of them, right? Oh, uh, well, the, yes. Billy Howell. Who Billy is, Howell. I have not seen on Chesil Beach. Um, He's which the main I have guy the great... in Chesil Beach. My best tweet ever, possibly also my worst tweet, was uh, the Jungle Kitty, Bibi Sahara Bane, Rakatititita on Chesil Beach. Um, uh, I did not see on Chesil what? Beach. Um, the whole thing was Rakatatititata, yeah, on Chesil Beach. On Chesil Beach. Yeah, basically. 
you're a fucking lunatic. I will find it and I will send it to you. Um, so Billy Howell, who is uh, in both of those That's movies, so has a love interest. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I love it. You just okay, fully have on. lost it. Um, so Billy Howell, who is the love interest in both, he plays yeah. Constantine and the Seagull. To your point that there's a lot of good f- performances floating around the Seagull he is so bad. He's bad, but here's what I will also tell you. He's the best performance in Outlaw King. He's at least the most fun performance in Outlaw King. He steals every single scene he's in in that movie. I'll take it. He plays the villain. He's great. So, like, every dog has his day. Even poor Billy Hall, who struggled so mightily in both of these movies. Yes. But, I'm looking um, at the cast list for The Seagull right now, and even I forgot Hottie Michael Zagan is in it. Oh, I know, right? He's the one who's uh, sort of every once in a while makes a play for Masha and, and yeah. just doesn't go anywhere. Mayor Winningham's in that movie. It's a very well-cast movie. Those are the traps we fall in when we're trying to predict movies a year ahead of time. Exactly. Thanks very much, director Michael Mayer. Theater uh, directors making films. How dare Okay, so I've said that I will not forget either of those movies, both because I am dumb and because I am also very dumb. Uh, But the one that I think is the most forgettable, and I'm almost tempted to do a twofer since you did a twofer, but I can't draw a parallel between them. Um, I think Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot Yeah, fully died. It premiered at Sundance at the beginning of the year and had like Oscar talk for both Joaquin Phoenix, Joe's nemesis, and um, Jonah Hill, all of our nemesis. Um, (laughs) And I will say Jonah Hill is like, for his dramatic performances, he's doing a little bit more heavy lifting here than he's done. That it's like, you actually see him trying to like, you know. Um, The movie fully sucks and is fully an ableist movie that is like not a good look for Gus Van Sant. Um, But like, Part of the reason why you haven't heard that is because no one saw this movie. (laughs) Um, But it did have Oscar talk at Sundance. Um, Classic Sundance Oscar buzz that ultimately fizzles at sea level. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know what? I'll say the other one just because you got a twofer. I can get a twofer. Um, uh, Chappaquiddick. Yeah, Which fully I was happy when I never had to see it. Um, it's the movie about Ted Kennedy and uh, the car crash with his mistress. It starred Jason Clark, an actor who like never is as good as he was, as I want him to be, as he was mm. in Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah. That was one of those movies that screened late at Toronto and got bought. And mm-hmm. the fact of it getting bought made people feel like they should consider it. That was and sort they, of the case. Well, no, because when it was bought, they part of the part of when this is my favorite, one of my favorite punchlines currently in cinema, Entertainment Studios Motion Pictures picked up the film. They announced with the pickup that they were going to push it for Oscar consideration, even though they were opening it in April. Yeah. Entertainment Motion Picture Studios, guys. Listen, they had a plan. Or Entertainment Studios Motion Picture. Either way, what a thing to name your studio. Anyway. All right. So what's our next category? Oh, okay. Uh, Like, this category we're going to consider, like, our technicality. The special exemption for which movie nominated feels most like a This Had Oscar Buzz movie. Right. So this movie, it got an Oscar nomination, but it still feels 
like a big old deflated balloon when it comes to its Oscar hopes versus its Oscar reality. So, okay, Chris, this is a movie that we have talked about for months only exclusively in these terms, basically. I am so sorry that we have shat upon you in this episode so much, Sersha, but Mary, Queen of Scots. I see. Yeah. It ended up with, what, two? Two. Costumes and makeup. It fully could have gotten like four or five. You have to imagine Margot Robbie did get votes considering she's a SAG nominee. Um, Yeah, those makeups, which are essentially like Elizabeth has like pustules on her face. So it's like she got nominated. This movie got nominated for like zits and baldness. Um, it's, It's such a like I know that this movie does have some of its fans for like the like audacity of the thing. And I think if we had known what the actual take on this movie was going to be and, like, the kind of anachronisms of it, we maybe would have tempered some of our expectations. Um, Because it's, like, I do kind of want to like what it's doing, but it's done with, like, just very low-level taste applied to it. All right. So my pick for a movie that most feels like it should be my i also had mary queen of scots so i am going to move down my list and i'm going to actually say even though it is a best picture nominee bohemian rhapsody still feels like a movie when all is said and done when all of this brian singer stuff has shaken out when the the gaze of history is on this movie it's going to seem wild that this movie was in the oscar conversation to the extent that it was it kind of wasn't for a very long time. For very, like, well, here's it was why. never thought of that way until, but, well, maybe some people did for Rami Malek. Rami Malek, yes. Here's what I'm thinking, though, is like it should have been and it wasn't because most of the people doing the predictions are also on some degree or another critics, if not official critics, mm-hmm. but and could not see past their own opinions about the movie about their taste level for the movie and their disdain for the movie to see just how popular it was getting out there in like the world where it was like 200 million dollar movie a cinema score like pristine you know but like the reviews were bad or at least the reviews were too middling to ever be a contender and yet everything else we were seeing about this movie was just like wildly popular people love it what there's a there's a thing about historical inaccuracy we don't care like no like nobody i honestly if you had surveyed all the people on an exit interview about whether they even knew brian singer directed that movie i think nobody knew nobody knew nobody cared nobody knew what to know about brian singer if they even knew who he was at all and ultimately i think expecting that the sort of whisper campaign about Brian Singer that existed before this Atlantic article came out that was going to be enough to turn people away from that movie as it was turning us away from that movie because we all know about it, I think was was more than a little naive. And even still, it still feels crazy that ultimately this movie that has all of the trappings of everything we would normally think of as a crash-and-burn 
Oscar play. But there's also a reason for that that I think has nothing to do with the Brian Singerness of it all. And <laughs> me saying this is not to pacify the Brian Singerness of it all, or like the people who are very offended by w- how they think homosexuality is represented in this movie. This movie is tacky as fuck, man. Like, I remember when that first Rami Malik as Freddie Mercury picture came out and it looked like something out of Madame Tussauds and then photoshopped. <laughs> it, I was fully like, absolutely not. This looks like chintzy and bad. And I, I still argue the movie looks like garbage. But like, I I think that's what it is. And maybe it just shows that we are like, sometimes we who are willing to look at like sometimes actively bad movies can still be snobs. Um, in like what we're actually thinking could be Oscar players. I don't know. I, I am sort of famously like lenient on this movie and don't, I don't feel the same kind of revulsion that everybody else seems to feel about this movie. I thought the last half hour where they're at Live Aid is actually genuinely great. I really do kind of get why people walked away from this movie really loving it because I think the things that it does well it ends up doing really well but even in that last half hour which I'm loving I'm my inner monologue is just like oh if this movie succumbs to being the chintzy thing that I think it is it's gonna cut to Mike Myers watching this and stewing in his own juices and I'm just like don't do it don't do it don't do it and of course they do it and like that to me was like that's the movie in a nutshell, where it's just like it yeah. could not help itself from doing the most formulaic thing possible, which and is... And I think that's partly because, like, it, it, I think someone's enjoyment of the movie, I do kind of qualify a little bit in terms of the Brian Singer thing, because, like, he was fully fired off of this movie. He may have shot most of it, but I would highly doubt his having to do with anything to do with the assemblage of the movie like this movie is basically made with math like it was fully assembled Mm -hmm. by the studio to have this kind of impact and I think that's probably part of the reason that it has appealed to so many people because it does do these lowest common denominator things. It's the most familiar movie it's for you know how I the thing about cinema score is that it's not a measure of how good a movie is or even how much people like a movie it's how much your expectations were met it is the most it's the least surprising a cinema score i've ever seen because it is why widows got a bad cinema score it's why widows got a bad cinema score it's why hereditary got a bad cinema score it is bohemian rhapsody is in no way anything but the movie you are expecting at every turn at every moment you could honestly play it in your head before you even show up there and yet, I don't know. I don't know what in yet. Maybe I don't have anything to do <laughs> yet. Maybe that's it. So our final category, right? Yes. Yes. The movie that we cannot wait to do a This Had Oscar Buzz episode on, let's say in a I year think... or two's time, knock on wood, that this podcast will still be going strong and the planet will still be here and Donald Trump will be yeah. On Chesil Beach. Okay. Cut that out so we don't Maybe get Maybe we'll cut that out. Maybe we'll cut that out. Maybe that's what we'll do. Happy on an island far away that he has purchased for himself. That's what we will say. Um, 
Yeah, in a happier future, what is the movie that we cannot wait to do an episode on, on this head Oscar buzz? Chris? I feel like this is the category our listeners will be most excited to hear about or, like, hear what our opinions are. And, like, I honestly think because, like, Widows was definitely the number one thing that our listeners were tweeting at us about. But I think one of the runner-ups probably, like, third or maybe even second place i have to agree with them i did not see this movie but i think in about two years time this is going to be the strangest fucking artifact of a movie and like i think like whatever there's going to be like a weird like schadenfreude occult about this movie and that is welcome to marwin yeah Oh, yeah. I am fully down not anytime soon because, like, we also don't necessarily... By the time we would record an episode, like, the Oscar season will basically be winding down and, like, you won't want to hear about this Oscar season. We won't no. want to. We'll no, need some distance. Watch... But, like, distance whenever we are ready to talk about 2018 things. again, Welcome Tomorrow and is, like, top of the heap for me. So every year... I make a point to see every nominated movie in every category, including the shorts. I've done this ever since 20, I want to say 12, let's say. And for the last several years, wherever I've been working at the time, I've written up a ranking of them. So it's become not only a, you know, little passion uh, exercise for me, but it's also become part of my job that I see every nominated movie. So... This year was very good for me in that, like, I think I planned ahead. I think I sort of put my ear to the ground early. I managed to see, what is it, three of the five um, foreign language films that were nominated and saw fourth the fourth of them on nomination day. I saw Capernaum on Tuesday afternoon, so all I have left is the Florian Henkel von Donnersmark movie, Never Look Away. And I ended Back up to seeing... our episode on The Tourist. Yes. And I ended up seeing four out of the five document or documentary nominations, and you know there were very few. You know, saw Border, saw all the ones that I was sort of hearing little whispers about. Right, the one movie that I was dreading getting a nomination, both because I wasn't super psyched to see it, but also because it had left theaters. It was going to be a bitch to find because it was one of those like I didn't get a screener of it. It's out of theaters. I'm going to have to find, you know, somewhere to track it down. Was Welcome to Marwin. And I was positive that it was going to get a visual effects nomination. If only just to fuck with me. <laughs> and so they're reading the nominations. And, of course, Welcome to Marwin is a W. So it's, like, the last alphabetically. And they read, like, it's, what, Avengers Infinity War and not Black Panther, surprisingly enough. I was very surprised that Black Bummer. Panther did not get a visual effects nomination. Avengers Infinity War, Christopher Robin, which could for that movie. First Man, Re- Ready Player One, which I had predicted. And so it's the end. And it's literally, I see on my little like nerd list that I made where it's like Solo and Welcome to Morrowind are the last two. And I'm just like, please be solo, please be solo, please be solo, please be solo. And it was, and I let a little whoop out at my desk at the office. <laughs> and the funny thing is, on Oscar nomination morning, so I'm watching the nominations on my computer at work with my headphones on, and only I can hear it. And there's only maybe like a quarter of the people in the office at this early in the morning because nobody starts till nine. And all people can hear from me in my headphones by myself is me going like, yes, or like, ooh, or, you know, <laughs> at each category, or I'll just be like, no Chalamet. And like people just sort of turn 
and face me. And at that one, I was fully just like, yes, I was very. I don't have to see Welcome to Marwin. I don't have to see Welcome to Marwin. I also don't have to see The Crimes of Grindelwald, which was another one in that Ugh. same boat where I'm just like, I don't want to have to go. Like the hoops that I would have had to jump through. That was like trying to find Ferdinand last year where it was just Ugh. like because just left theaters and it wasn't on VOD yet. And it's just like, ugh. So, yes, in two years' time, come back. We'll talk about Welcome to Marwin, and we'll have a good old time doing it. It's, It does seem crazy. It does seem rather insane. I want to shout out a couple that we haven't really gotten a chance to talk about, just to, just throw their titles out there. Um, I, we'll do an episode on The Front Runner. I'm excited to talk about that movie. That seems like almost from its title, seemed destined to wind up exactly where it is right now. Which but is... we also have a Best Picture nominee. You could have said the same thing about The Favorite. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. That's a good point. Sometimes In your Oscar a... year, will you be a front runner or a favorite? <laughs> the irony giveth and the irony taketh away. Um, on the basis of Sex, which is a movie that I have not seen yet, I have also haven't seen The Front Runner. Um, I'm interested to see that one. I would like to actually see that and kind of compare it to RBG, which I don't think is that very good of a movie. And I suspect that I might be able to sort of Armand White my way into, you know, making an argument that on the basis of sex turned out better than RBG. But I, of course, will have to see it first. So we'll see. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it's much worse. Um, What They Had, which is one of those movies. I That should have been my most forgettable because I kind of forget that that I movie I thought about that for most now. forgettable. Because it made like $50,000 or something, but it was on people's like early lists at the beginning of the season and it just like didn't happen. It's one of those movies because that I think released a trailer on like the same day that Green Book did, which was like the day before TIFF started. And I think with both of them, I think they just sort of got lopped into like, well, add these to the pile. And ultimately one of them bore fruit and one did not and we can all argue about which one of them should have and shouldn't have but for my can't wait to talk about that there are two movies that we've already mentioned so we won't spend too much time in them i super can't wait to do an episode on life itself and i super can't wait to do an episode on the mule i think you just can't wait for me to see life itself yes (laughs) yes I think there's so much fun to be had. When you mentioned it, it's co- the collateral beauty of this year. You're absolutely on target. And when we end up doing the collateral beauty episode, I think that's going to turn out to be really fun, too. So Maybe we'll do a the double mule, whammy. The mule, I'm just like, carve it up in front of me. Just like, let me at it. And whatever. Whatever will be, will be. I would also mention two that are in our In Memoriam Class of 2018 video that we didn't mention um, we've. I'll go through and I'll actually mention the rest of the titles. But two that I think are really interesting and great examples that in like two years, it'll be hilarious to be like, remember how this movie was in the Oscar conversation are Vox Lux and Suspiria, yep, yep. which Suspiria, yep. like there Suspiria were people that were like doubting it. Buzz. Oh, yes, it absolutely did, which sounded insane. But, like, because of Luca Guadagnino, people were, like, indulging it. But then it has to have gotten very close to that makeup nomination. Um, And, again, like I've talked about this before on this podcast, it probably just boils down to even if they tried to emphasize what they did with Lutz Eberstorf um, in the transformation they did for Tilda Swinton, it probably just loops down to, like, the best stuff in that movie is the grossest. And then Vox Lux, which is just, like, 
you buy it as a concept as an om- Oscar nominee until you see the movie. Until you see the movie, it all falls apart then. Wh- yeah. No matter where you fall on the spectrum of love or hate for that movie, yes. that movie is a batshit insane idea that it would the be The Oscars for were an Oscar. never going to go for Vox Lux once people actually saw the movie. I will say... I'm mixed on that movie. I love Ned. I'm surprised, surprised. I love Natalie Portman in a movie, but like honestly, I love her. I think she's so she's. You can't take your eyes off her. She is so goddamn compelling to watch in that movie. Uh, back to your Suspiria thing with best makeup, though, for a second. If this isn't the year that proves that there should be five makeup nominees, it doesn't make any sense that there are not. But like it was the Bake Off list was great. The Bake Off list was great. They could have easily any of any five of those movies would have been great nominees. It's stupid that they don't have five. There's no the real favorite would have been it. a good nominee too. I mean, e- uh, mostly people think of it as like a hairstyling of makeup and hairstyling, but I think even like just some yeah. of the like finer like non showy makeup moments in that movie are really great. The way that like Emma Stone looks after she's ascended to the favorite dumb and how like garish it looks is fantastic like black just... panther would have been a fantastic makeup movie absolutely like, even down to stuff like a star is born which like isn't you know your traditional like makeup movie but like there are very subtle and good things going on in that movie i don't know another one that we didn't talk about we talked about the other like boy movies we did not talk about boy erased which feels kind of quintessential to what we do here but like there's there's a weird aura that I've never been able to like peg down around that movie. And maybe it's just because people expected it to be more of something that it wasn't or just better than it was. Um, I just feel like it did not elicit strong feelings in any direction. Yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately it was a well-intentioned movie that didn't make people didn't fuck up so bad that it made people angry. And yet it didn't ever really hit those heights. I think there are a lot of great performances in that movie. I think it's a good movie. And it's almost tougher to talk about the good movies that aren't great than the bad movies that aren't good. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it showed up a few places throughout the season, including at the Globes. But I just think it was one of those things. Good for Lucas Hedges. Good for Lucas Hedges to get that nomination. Also, we should talk about in terms of, you know, the movies that were Oscar nominated but feel like this had Oscar bid movies. For a four-time nominee, First Man sure feels like a failure. It's because it didn't get that Best Picture nomination. I was foolish and predicted it for, like, eight or nine things, including well, it Best Picture. It didn't but get like, Claire Foy. It didn't get score for Justin Hurwitz after he yeah. had just won a Golden Globe. Like, there were a lot of places that even up until Tuesday morning, we were expecting it to show up that it didn't. Talk about that score nomination. If it felt like that was surely its safest nomination, yeah, and it missed, like that definitely shows some disinterest in that movie. I don't know. Like that's the only way I can explain it because even yeah. like I, as someone who doesn't love First Man, like that score I think is outstanding, and it was on my ballot. Um, yeah. Another one that we can talk about: A Private War, for with yes. Rosamund Pike. Um, this movie is so like, I fully wasn't convinced it existed until that <laughs> yeah. Globe nomination happened because this movie showed up mid festival at Toronto because yes, added very uh, one late. of the galas had to bow out because none of its stars showed up. And then like 
while we were there, days into the festival, they put this movie in there. It's released by Aviron, which is like a new indie outfit that like doesn't really have much infrastructure to get their movies out there. And this movie didn't really play for very long. I know here it played maybe two weeks. Yeah. If even that. It um, played here so a little bit longer, but I never went and saw it. That was the one that I was like, if Rosamund Bike just randomly happens. Yeah. Because everybody watched their screener. I am going to be struggling to see this movie. Because I didn't get a screener for that either. And now we'll never talk about it again. And now we'll never talk about it again. Um. So because this is an official episode and not a bonus episode, we thought, why not do an IMDb game just to close things off? Because we love it so. So... Chris, I've picked one out for you. Have you picked one out for me? Yes, I have. All right. Why okay, don't you give to so me first? We've talked a lot of hubris, schadenfreude. I wanted to pivot on our IMDb game to something that we're feeling much more positively about. I know you and I feel very strongly about one potential winner that I think a lot of our listeners will also be rooting for. Some funkiness has gone on this season to make this front runner seem like maybe they're not a front runner. I'm talking mm. about Regina King. Oh yeah, very much funkiness at the BAFTAs and at uh, SAG. Jesus Christ, the hell's going on? Uh so Regina King's known for on IMDb. Any TV? No TV. Surprise! Huh. No TV. Yeah, she's had a lot of success on TV. Okay. Ray. Yes. Okay. Ray should have had her Oscar nomination. She should have had an Oscar nomination for Ray. I believe I've said that on this podcast before. I will throw in the one I think she should have had an Oscar nomination for, which is Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is not a correct answer. Mm, okay. Uh-huh. Oh, everything is so TV-focused in my head right now. I know. Oh, uh, Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous. Yes, thank you for getting the full title. You are welcome. It's biblical name. (laughs) All right, so two out of four. So you have two more. You have one wrong guess. I have one wrong guess. Okay. Um, (laughs) Regina. I would be shocked if you haven't seen these movies. I will say that. Okay. Well, that helps. I think. Um, shoot. I might just burn one and try and get years. Um, maybe. I'm trying to think of like big ensembles she might have been in. Or like, because she doesn't have a whole lot of I would not of, like, consider either of these movies ensemble movies. I will say that. She doesn't have a Just whole lot of like right leads, path. like lead roles. Um, yeah, I'm gonna burn one and just give me the years. Okay, so we will just forfeit, I guess, and I will give you 1998 and 2004. Okay, so 2004, same year as Ray. She was in something else. Hmm. Ninety-eight. Ninety-eight is ninety-eight is a very popular movie. A noteworthy director, famous 
actor star who we have definitely talked about on a previous episode. I defended this person. Um, the director is famously a brother of a director we have talked about on this podcast. Tony Scott? Yes. Tony Scott in 1998. Not like Man on Fire. Um, I believe she plays the wife of the actor. In yeah, this movie. I bet she, that's what I'm. I'm thinking. There's a lot of wife roles. Um, oh, oh, wait. Tony Scott. 98 is. Um. Will Smith conspiracy thriller. Yes. What is the title of the movie? Um, that's not conspiracy theory. That's the other one with Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts. And Julia, with, with enemy of, the, enemy of the, the state. Enemy, enemy of, the state. of the state is correct. So we've got mm-hmm. another 2004 title. I will say this movie is one of those summer releases that's fronted by a pop star who <laughs> definitely, if I called this a B-level pop star, I would have her stands screaming at me saying that she's amazing. However, Miley, I no, won't call her B-level pop star, but I will say she is not a Britney Spears. Not Well, Christina didn't do movies. Christina has done movies. We both love burlesque. How dare you? Not then. She didn't do movies then. She took okay, till burlesque. So, it, yes, that's very fair. Um, Thank you. This movie, um, Jessica is, Simpson. It, no, it is a not Jessica Simpson. It is a riff on a famous fairy tale. That famous fairy tale Christina is in Milian. the title. No, it's not Christina Milian. Were you thinking it was Love Don't Cost a Thing? Yes, I was. It is not Love Don't Cost a Thing. Okay. It is okay. If I give you the pop star, I think I'll, you'll get the movie. Okay, then don't give me the pop star. Wait. Uh, 04, Lindsay Lohan's not a pop star, right? Lindsay Lohan, we wouldn't describe that way. I wouldn't describe her as a pop star, but she... she has so it's not Confessions yeah. of a Teenage Drama Queen. No. Remember Fairy Tale. Oh. Fairy Tale is right oh. there in the title. Cinderella Story. Yes, a Cinderella Story. She's in a Cinderella Story. Yes. All right. She plays Rhonda. That's one of her known for? That's so stupid. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. I picked an actor we talked about a little bit earlier in this episode, the star of two movies that ended up getting blanked for Oscars, even though I think he was very good in both of the movies. Neither one of them shows up in his known for, but try and guess anyway. I picked John C. Riley, the star of The Sisters Brothers and Stan and Ollie. Chicago. Chicago, yes. His big Oscar-nominated year from the actual movie he was Oscar-nominated for. Fabulous. Boogie Nights? Nope. Okay. Uh, One strike. Magnolia? Two strikes. What? Oh, sorry. One of these is a voice. I'll give you one more strike. Uh, one of these That's is the voice. second time you've done that for I a know. Voice, well, sir. it's because when I look at the characters, they don't say parentheses voice, even though I'm looking at a cartoon right in front of me. Okay, so Wreck-It Ralph. Yes, Wreck-It Ralph. Okay, so I have two more. Um, and I don't get the years because you gave me a freebie. Right. Um, if you get one more, then I'll get you give you the years. Dang. Seriously, no Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, it's weird. Fine. 
John Riley's actually kind of hard. One of these you fully don't remember he was in this movie. So I will say I'll give you I'll let you guess the other the one other one and then we'll go nuts on the four. Okay. But um I mean I don't like this answer, but like I feel like this is a strong movie on IMDb and I'm going to say The Hours. No, I know it's not wrong. The hours. Yeah, okay. But that's I appreciate you for guessing that. So your missing years are 2007 and 2014. 2014. Yes. The See, t- like post 2010, John C. Riley is all just like a blur together. So um, the thing about the 2014 movie is he's barely in it. This is a movie with a big ensemble where a good four or five A to B list actors show up in insanely small parts because the movie is such a big is such a big behemoth that they're just like why not i'll just jump in this and do a lark and do a day's work on this one giant blockbuster movie oh it's a blockbuster yes so i'm guessing it's not a like it's not a this had oscar buzz movie okay Um, no Blockbuster Ensemble from 2014. Yeah. It was like in a long series of movies, and this one was like, oh, this one's not like the others, so we really like this one especially lots. Not like the others. Yeah. Was it a superhero movie? Yes. 2014, okay. And people like it. And people really like it, yes. Okay, like, so even relative it's definitely to, Marvel, then. Relative to the other movies in this franchise especially, there's a lot of, like, this is the one I like the best because it's different. Uh, see, if it's Marvel, I would think of stuff later, but I guess, okay, let me put myself in the headspace at that time. Mm. This one's different. It's Guardians of the it's... Galaxy? Yes, it's Guardians of the Galaxy. See, I, you know how I got that because you don't like Guardians of the Galaxy and there's I a don't. tone in your voice. There's a tone. Of people saying that they like it because it was different. Remember how in Guardians of the Galaxy that Oscar nominees Jaime Hansu, Benicio del Toro, Glenn Close, and John C. Riley each show up for like a scene and a half? Oh my god! I don't think Glenn Close speaks in that movie, and she's still better than she is in the wife. Oh my god! You are a beast. I am a demon. Um, All right. Okay. So what was the other year? Two thousand seven. This is a movie that got mentioned a good bit during this Oscar season as a kind of. See, I was gonna say Step Brothers because I can't remember when that happened. Um, No, it should be Step Brothers, but it's not. Um, Should be Talladega Nights. No. It's it was that. it was compared to a best picture nominee in a way that was intended to make the best picture nominee look bad. So it's like a spoof. Oh, it's Walk Hard, isn't it? It is Walk Hard. Walk Hard. Walk Hard. Wow. Compared to Bohemian Rhapsody in a way that makes Bohemian Rhapsody look terrible. I am genuinely shocked at those four, except yeah. for Chicago and Wreck It Ralph. I mean, I would understand Wreck-It Ralph if Step Brothers was there or if Boogie Nights was there. Yeah. This no, this true. one fully foils all of my thinking about the algorithm, though it does kind of prove the Marvel thing. Cause fully have no idea who he is in Guardians of the Galaxy. I think he's just like a functionary. I think he's just like one of Glenn Close's... 
like <laughs> second or third in commands. We'll see. You know uh, what? Remake the wife with John C. Riley as the wife. Um, no, John C. Riley married to uh, <laughs> John C. Riley as the hot son. As oh, as the hot the son, hot not... son who is like fully like supposed to be like thirty years old, but behaves like he's three years old. Wait, what about the wife with Clint and uh, and Scott Eastwood? No, wait, it's not Scott Eastwood. It's Max Irons. Never mind. That joke doesn't go anywhere. But also, Scott Eastwood and Max Irons could be interchangeable parts in any movie. Honestly, yeah. maybe yeah. Max Irons is a little bit more appealing now that he's a little bit schlubbier and the wife. I yeah, don't know. You know, yeah. All right. That is our episode. If you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also check out our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Talk to us about the Oscars, the upcoming. We got the SAG Awards coming up. We got the BAFTAs. We got the Independent Spirit Awards. Oh, oh, we should mention uh, what day are the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards happening? Friday, February 5th. Guess what's happening, gang? They're We're going to live tweet them. We're going to live tweet them as they air on PBS. They happen for real on, like, February 5th. So everybody try real hard to, like, not pay attention when, like... To the winners of the AARP. When the winners are announced. When they actually happen. Because they won't be on TV for another 10 days. But when they are, Chris and I are going to live tweet the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards as they air on PBS. You should all... Be around to watch with us and have fun with us. We'll be on the This Head Oscar Buzz Twitter account and also our own accounts. We'll figure out a way to juggle that all. We will make it known once we figure out the full plan. We'll get some booze. We'll get some snacks. We'll we'll get our AARP member cards. We'll talk about some movies. We'll talk about that some were movies. made it's for us. It's gonna be very fun. Grown ups, grown ups at last. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff on the internet? You can find me on Twitter.com. I am Chris V-File. That's F-E-I-L. You can also find me on Letterboxd at the same username where we also keep our This Had Oscar Buzz list where you can find IMDb game stats and direct links to our episodes. I also write regularly at thefilmexperience.net. Woohoo! Yeah. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. Reed, of course, is spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please, please, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really does help us out with iTunes visibility. We do like that. We like people to be able to find us on iTunes. Always a good time. So make like the bunch of beautiful boys and girls that you are and cast your Vox Luxes into the digital space on our behalf. That is all for this week. I, it, it dawns on me that that little outro depended on us talking about both First Man and Vox Lux a lot more than we ended up doing. Just That's the joke. That's the joke. That's, that's the job. That's the joke. That is all for this week, but we hope you will be back next week for more buzz. We've not for the memories. Everyone's a winner.